All right. Well, hey, welcome to the Mill Church, everyone. We're glad you're here. I just want to say if you're visiting today or have visited before and have yet to fill out a welcome card, we'd love to have a record of your attendance. So if you wouldn't mind going to the mill.church slash welcome, the mill.church slash welcome and filling out a welcome card, we would greatly appreciate that. It helps us to get to know you and your family better. Is it just me or is it a little warm in here today? A little warm? Maybe we can crack a garage door or two back there, Dennis, and bring some cooler air in. Speaking of cooler air, have you seen the forecast for Easter Sunday? Anybody? Today's really nice. Do I dare inform you that on Easter Sunday, the projection is 42 degrees for a high? I'm so sorry. But go find a beautiful Easter cardigan for everyone to see and a sweater, something warm, and still show up here ready to celebrate our risen Lord. We're looking forward to Easter Sunday. I have uh, really the honor of introducing a friend of mine, Tracy, who's going to share her story today Uh, on Palm Sunday. Tracy is uh, a member at the mill, has been for several years. She's been a frequenter here, and I'm just excited to hear her story. Every Sunday in 2022, a different attender at the mill church is sharing a story, a tale of God's faithfulness. Will you give Tracy a warm welcome this morning? Good morning. Can you guys hear me okay? Okay. I don't want to eat the microphone, but I don't want to mumble. So (laughs) Um, thank you for allowing me the opportunity to be up here and share a little bit about myself and my journey. Um, My mom and my brother are here. So I do want to warn you that afterwards, if my brother has any stories, childhood stories, remind him. I know where he lives. I will find him. (laughs) So really to give you a good foundation, um, I'm going to start when we were young. We grew up in the Pacific Northwest. Um, in the Valley of the Mountains, and had a really awesome childhood, really. We were pretty sheltered. Our mom, she knows the Lord. She's been an amazing um, guide for us, and she really provided that, that childhood for us and protected us and was kind of that mama bear that, that made sure that, you know, we were well taken care of and, and could just grow up as children. And um, I really thank her for that. Um, you know, we'd never had a dull moment. We had just a neighborhood teeming with kids, and we were out all day riding bikes and um, just playing together, getting dirty, you know, skinning up our knees. And it wasn't until my teen years that I really started to question God and um, just started to push the limits and, and you know, test the boundaries and, and really try to figure myself out. And I know that my mom gave me that perfect foundation, but I really had to find my own faith. And, and it was quite a struggle. And I really, I, I'd grown up knowing about Jesus and hearing his name, but I didn't have a relationship with him. And I hit my teen, you know, through my teen years that hit the point that I just really wanted to break away. And when I was 17, I moved out and, um, you know, really did some soul searching. And to be honest, I was looking for peace and for happiness, but not the right kind of peace and happiness. And the more that I searched for that self-fulfillment um, with me as a center, the further it got. And, and I was pretty um, 
pretty far out there. And I got married when I was 18. I had my first son when I was 19 and my second son when I was 20. And I really didn't start looking um, for Christ, like truly looking for him to fulfill my needs until, you know, as my children started to grow, I realized that I needed to give them a hope and I couldn't give them something that I didn't have. Um, and I didn't have a hope or a peace. And I really sat down at, at, at a point, I don't know if they were, um, you know, around four or five, that I sat back and I looked at my life, and I'm like, there were people in my life that really stood out as, as people that had it together, people that they had something that I wanted. And I, I connected the dots and was able to really realize it was Jesus. And I cried out to God, and I said, God, if you're out there and you're real, you know, I need to know you. And at that point, I really had believed that I'd searched and looked at all these different religions, and I'd um, looked to the scriptures, and I thought, you know, here's Jesus with his motley crew of disciples, and they gave everything without a material gain. And it was the only thing that made sense to me was this, this um, just this awesome piece that you have that is despite circumstances or situations, um, and just to be able to to suffer and make it through and choose to to um, to to follow God no matter what and you know as I cried out to God I thought God you need to really reconcile some issues that I have because I really thought that the Bible is full of errors and I wasn't willing to believe in a blissful lie I needed the truth even if it was a painful truth and I packed my kids up and I took them to church and. That first time I was in church, I remember it was the end of January in 1998, and I walked in, and I thought I was going to um, a specific church, and when I got there, you know, I had even, I'm sorry, I'm going to back up a little bit, I stopped at a gas station, and I asked somebody where the church was that I was looking for, I couldn't find it, and the customer was at the desk, and he's like, you know, paying for his stuff, and he's like, I know that church, it's right around the corner. You just go around the corner and you take a left or whatever and it's just right there. And so I was all excited and got there and got the kids in children's church and sat down. And the pastor's like, welcome to whatever church. And it wasn't even the right church. I'm like, well, kids are in Sunday school. Like, it's too late. I, I, I'm kind of stuck here. And I didn't know. Like, I was exactly where I needed to be. And the, the pastor really spoke a message and talked about how he didn't really believe there were people that don't believe in God. There's just a lot of hurting people, and there are things that take us away from and, and detract from God, and um, it, it really just spoke to me, and then I left, and I thought, oh, you know, he's speaking to all these people. There's no way it was meant for me. Now, I'm going to try it again, and I went to an, a church that was closer to home the next time, and um, it really spoke to me again, and that's when I was finally like, okay, God. It was, it was more of a okay, you have my attention. I know you're up there, but you got to help me reconcile these things, and I will uh, totally surrender to you. I'll do whatever you want, but, you know, help me figure these things out. And I went to church, church again, and that pastor, he spoke to me afterwards and was real friendly, and he, he just, he was like, you know, how you doing? Where are you from? Give me a little bit of your story. And I kind of shared with him that, you know, my, my lack of faith and he's like, oh, you think there's errors in the Bible? Like, can you kind of give me an idea of what you're talking about? And I shared with him, you know, there's different stories of, like, 
one of the gospels has Judas where he's falling headlong and his guts are splitting open. And there's another gospel that talks about him hanging from a tree. He's like, Tracy, he's like, have you ever been to Israel? Do you know what it looks like over there? You know, you're missing pieces of information. They're like pieces of a puzzle fitting together. They're not contradictory. So if you've ever seen it, the, the trees are kind of like, most of them are like weak trees. You're not talking about mighty oak trees. He said, why do you think they both couldn't have happened? They were from different perspectives. Um, and I'm like, okay, but what about this? And I'm open up, and I know my scripture, and I'm opening up, and I'm like, what about this? And I, I, it was like a light bulb went on, and it all made sense, and it all started coming together, and, and I just had this storm in my life, but I finally felt that peace and calm that I was looking for. And I, I'm going to just pause for a second, and I want you guys to all think of, like, maybe a beautiful place, someplace um, that you were on vacation with, or maybe some place you've dreamed of, just some amazing destination that's maybe awe-inspiring. You know, and for me, it would be like the Grand Canyon. I've been to the Grand Canyon. I've been to the Rocky Mountains. I've been to um, some amazing places, even the Apostle Islands, I think are incredible places. And I think if we all step back and we think about it, all those places, the places with natural beauty, um, they came about through storms. They came about through earthquakes. They came about through floods, uh, the big one and, and minor ones, but all through turmoil and um, really destruct what seems to be destructive forces. And I think that that was a lot like my life and a lot like a lot of our lives, that we're in the middle of something and we think it's chaotic and we don't realize that God is really a God of order. And even in the midst of all that chaos, um, God has, has an order and there's kind of like a science to it. And it's not contradictory to God. God is in complete control. And out of those storms, God creates just amazing and beautiful things. And for me, you know, it wasn't a cakewalk after I gave my life to Christ. Um, it, you know, it was definitely a struggle because I was still fighting for control. You know, I'd surrendered uh, my heart, but I hadn't really surrendered my life. And... Uh, I think my kids just really kept me focused, like, okay, it, it can't be all about me. It's, it's just, it needs to be more. And I, I just wanted more and more of Christ. And about three years ago, I ended up with a cancer diagnosis, and I was in the middle of a, a major storm because I was separated from my husband, and life was just crazy. And I really learned to hold on to God with both hands and just say, okay, you know, here we go, because... I felt like I could hear God in the back of my head saying, okay, keep your hands and your feet in the right here, you know, hold on. And he was with me through every moment. And my, my life has really turned out, like, incredible. Like, it was, it's 10,000 times better than it even was before that I had a successful treatment. God restored my marriage. My husband's following Christ now. And... It's just something that I would have never imagined. And there will be more storms, and they don't always turn out like that. Um, but I know that God's in complete control, and if we give our life to him, that he is going to make something beautiful out of it. And it might not be what we expect in a, in a way we expect, because it's usually not. But it's, it's going to be better, and, and it's going to be something that points to Christ. It's not us-centered, but that peace comes from the inside out, not from the outside in. So my story. So thank you. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you sharing your story today of God's faithfulness. Glad your brother and mom are here. 
It's great having you. And uh, if you have a story to share of God's faithfulness in your life, talk to me, okay? Let me know. I'd love to, to hear from you. Want to uh, just remind you of our Holy Week schedule coming up next weekend. We have a Good Friday service here. Good Friday service here at 7 p.m. This coming Friday night, we hope you make that. It's one of our one of my favorite services all year long. We explore the death of Jesus in great detail, and so I hope you uh, make that a point in your week to come Friday night and worship with us. And then we rest and do very little on uh, Saturday, Holy Saturday, as Jesus rested in the tomb. And then on Easter Sunday, we will be here bright and early. 6.30 a.m., we will have a sunrise service with full band. I would like to ask as many of you who would consider waking up at 5 a.m. and being here in time for our 6.30 a.m. service to do so. It does a couple things. One, I think it's just a unique service to be at, to worship as the sun is coming up. The women went ran to Jesus' tomb as the sun was coming up. And so there's a lot of symbolism there. And two, it creates space in our latter two services for others, creates space in our parking lot. So if you would be bold enough, brave enough, desirous enough to come to our 6.30 a.m. sunrise service, uh, we would greatly appreciate that. If you are ready to take in God's word this morning, you can open to Colossians chapter 2. Verse 11, Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. Anybody ever sold anything of value and received cash for it from the buyer? A used car, uh, maybe even a house. Sometimes houses are purchased with cash, a piece of equipment, a mower, etc., isn't it always just a bit unnerving not knowing whether or not what you're receiving is real or counterfeit? How many of you went out and bought one of those little yellow pens to mark the bills with to make sure some of you are business owners, you know what we're talking about. You don't want to be on the receiving end of bad cash, right? What the Apostle Paul is doing this... this uh, this book and in this text in particular, he's trying to help us understand what a fake is, what a counterfeit is. And the best way in my understanding, according to a number of tellers that I've known over the years, to determine what's counterfeit is to know what's real, to know what actual cash feels like. It's just easier to recognize a fraud. So I've never worked at a bank, but again, bank tellers are quite keen on the ability to spot counterfeit bills, and the reason is they spend a lot of time handling what's authentic, and so much so that when they come upon something suspicious, they just have this like spidey sense, right, and, and say to themselves, wait a minute, something's off here. I told you last week, Paul is not going to uh, waste our time chasing and debunking every piece of false doctrine under the sun. He doesn't even name the specific heresy that he's dealing with in the local church. 
and he's not scaring everyone in the process with a, uh, you know, inordinate amount of detail, what Paul is going to do is preach Christ and Christ crucified so that people sense when they are in the presence of something less than Jesus or other than Jesus, that they just say to themselves, something's just not quite right here. Something is off. I will tell you that it has been my desire for years, and I'm not pastoring at the mill much longer. I leaned over to Dennis Wenzel this morning and said to him in the back, why does it seem like we've had more people and more visitors since I've announced my resignation? This is so unkind. And Dennis said, yeah, you should have left a lot sooner. That's what he said to me. So... I'll tell you that it's been my desire for years that the Mill Church not be fear-based, meaning we don't spend all our time talking about the latest, weird, nonsensical doctrine, whatever is floating around out there. We don't project here about how COVID or the Russian invasion of the Ukraine are concrete signals that the battle for you know of Armageddon is is about to take place and rather it's our hope that when people are saved by Jesus that they'll just cling tightly to him and stick with him and ride with him through every storm as Tracy talked about today in her story no matter what comes and Paul seems to do the same thing. He's communicating, don't entertain yourselves with every whim, every rogue theory out there. Rather, focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Adore Him. Be grateful for Him. The authentic Jesus Christ. And you'll be able to identify the counterfeits. He says in verse 11, In Him, that's Jesus, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So when he says without hands, he's talking about a spiritual, not a physical circumcision. And by this, he's meaning Jesus' death on the cross and therefore the operative procedure, if you will, that each of us go through in our hearts when we die to ourselves and trust in Christ. Now, I know what you're thinking. Yay, I was hoping on the way to church this morning that we would talk about circumcision. Isn't that what you were thinking? Well, today we're actually going to do that, but it might not be quite what you expect. Uh, This opportunity doesn't come around very often. Uh, But first, let's keep reading. He says this, Having been buried with Christ in baptism, that's the burial of Jesus, in which you were also raised. So there's the resurrection of Jesus with him, with Jesus through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So Paul's continued line of thought is there are powerful currents that can pull you away from Jesus. Stay with him Don't be pulled off course. And if you spend time with he who is the real God, you will not be distracted by clever counterfeits. So Paul says, let's just keep it simple, folks. Let's take it back to the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
and he uses this language of circumcision. It's a bit odd for us, but if you were raised as a Jew in this day, uh, you would in every way be familiar with the symbol of God's promise, God's covenant. Now, one day when I get to heaven, I may ask God why he chose male surgery to communicate his covenant, his promise, his commitment to humankind. Um, But in the Old Testament, if you were born into a believing family, and if you were a young man, true story, you would undergo, like it or not, circumcision. This is just what you did. And even if you converted to faith later in life, you would undergo, as a newly Jewish male, circumcision. And every male in the room, right, winces. You know, this this sounds barbaric and without anesthesia and without the latest of, you know, technology. We think, boy, you know, we're looking at here a dull flint knife. This is not going to go well for us, but this is what happened in the custom, in the culture of the day. And we can get past, I hope, if we can, being squeamish about the act itself, I hope we can come to appreciate its meaning. Because here what Paul's communicating is that circumcision, which was a removal of flesh and which involved the shedding of blood, that it was a sacrifice that demonstrated that you had a relationship with God. Paul's saying circumcision alone, however, does not save you. People thought it did in the New Testament. Big arguments were had over this. Paul's saying it doesn't save you, but what it did do is it accomplished a foreshadowing of Jesus' death on a cross. Think about it. Was his flesh cut? Yes, it was. Was his blood shed? Yes, it was. And we'll examine it in detail this coming Friday, um, but flesh would be ripped off of Jesus' body. His blood would be shed. We say it so often and so trivially so. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. I say it nearly every Sunday. But it's important to remember that this was the most painful, most brutal, most public execution of its day. Not to mention everything that happened prior to Jesus' cross, where his flesh was cut, where his blood was shed. Jesus was falsely accused. Jesus was put through a mock trial. Jesus had his beard pulled, plucked from his face. He was publicly beaten with what was called at the time a cat of nine tails, which involved leather straps that had at their ends stones that were basically to pulverize human flesh and hooks made of glass shards and pieces of metal and fragments of stone. These tools were disfiguring a man's shoulders and hips and buttocks and back 
would be exposed and the flogging would render the flesh like ribbons to the point where some victims were not recognizable. And of course, blood flowed. We'll go into more detail on Good Friday. Isaiah says that Jesus was marred beyond human likeness. His body was carved. His blood ran down. He breathed his last and his body was buried. So I hope just quickly that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I hope that you men in particular take a lot of consolation in the fact that starting in the New Testament, baptism and not circumcision became the symbol to tell others about your faith. How many of you are thankful for that? Isn't that awesome? So that's the new symbol. Hey, I'm a Christian. Let's broadcast this to the world. This is me sacrificing for Jesus, publicly demonstrating my faith. So instead today we baptize. Um, You need to understand if you haven't been baptized, baptism is demonstrating that Jesus died. The creator was buried in the earth. Uh, And then a part of three days later, he rose again on a Sunday. That's why we celebrate and sing as Rebecca did so beautifully and as you all did. I could hear you singing this morning on a Sunday because Jesus rose from death on a Sunday to everybody's surprise. And so when we practice baptism, we're showing what? We're showing my old life has died with Jesus and I am rising into new life with him. Just as he was buried, I'm being buried to my own way of life, and I'm rising into new life. He's transformed me at the deepest levels of my being. So Paul is saying here and communicating about the powerful work of Jesus' death. He didn't stay dead. He rose again, and you can too. So he's saying Jesus is not just some belief system. He's a living Savior. He's a loving Savior. He's seeking you. He's desirous to be in relationship with you. So don't get bored with Jesus. He loves you. Don't get complacent with Jesus. He cares for you. Here we go again, Pastor. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I've been coming here for weeks. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. All you ever talk about is Jesus. Do you ever say anything else? Do you ever communicate anything else? And what do we say to that critique? No, we don't. It's all about Jesus. It will always be about Jesus. It's like church is like. I mean, it doesn't matter. The good news, if it's the first time you hear it or the seventh time or the 700th time that you hear it, it's still good news. What happened on the Friday was good. It was great. It's why we call it Good Friday. Jesus died to save sinners, many of whom we've heard their stories this year. Their lives that were buried with Christ and raised again in Christ. It's like it's kind of like Culver's. When you go to Culver's, 
What do you expect to get? You expect to get, you're like, here he goes again with one of these ridiculous illustrations. Skin's laughing. You get a burger. Just hang with me for a minute. You get a burger, you get fries, and you get a soda, right? Nearly every time you go to Culver's, that's what you get. You don't, you know, people coming in looking for something other than the simplicity of Jesus Christ crucified. It's like we don't offer General So's chicken, right? We just don't. It's not who we are. We don't offer eggplant parmesan. We're a Culver's, right? So you can't come in and get the latest fringe philosophy or a bunch of ruminating about what might be in the future at the Mill Church. We don't reinvent Christianity. We keep it simple. It's about Jesus crucified. We have a little menu here, but it's a great menu. It's a crucified Savior died to save sinners. And it's still good news. So we don't put a little bit of reincarnation on your plate, right? And a little bit of works-based salvation on your plate that you can just be good enough and get into heaven. Uh, We don't put a a little bit of end-time predictions on your plate. People have been doing that, are you aware, for not only decades, but multitudes of decades. There was a book written in 1998, 98 Reasons Jesus is Coming Back in 98. Guess what? The same author wrote in 99. 99 reasons Jesus is... I am not making this up. You can go back and look historically. Every plague we have endured in our history, there's end times talk. Okay? We just need to be very careful that we don't let fear creep into the hearts and minds of the believers. We win in the end. Jesus Christ crucified. Do we know the end is coming? Yes, but the end of days has been the end of days since Jesus was resurrected into heaven. We've been in the latter days ever since. So is he coming back for us? Of course he is. We need to tell as many people about it as possible, but we don't need to be running around like chickens with our heads cut off I say it this way, we ought to be a part of the welcoming committee, not the planning committee. We're going to celebrate when he comes. What did Jesus say? No man knows the day or the hour. No man knows. And if a man thinks he knows, Jesus is is not going to come on that day. So we keep it simple. We talk about a crucified Savior. And here's what we read in verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. In other words, you didn't know God. You didn't love God. You weren't obedient to God. You didn't long for the things of God. 
And yet, God did something amazing for you. Here it comes. God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, all your doubts, all your overt and hidden sins. Verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. See, everybody says, I was born a Christian. Or a lot of people have said that. You were not born a Christian. You weren't. You were dead in your trespasses. And the uncircumcision of your heart. You were not tender toward God. And yet, God made those who were spiritually dead, like Tracy, like myself, like you all, spiritually alive. And it was out of sheer want to on the part of Jesus. This is a supernatural miracle. We can't explain why Jesus wanted to save us. And yet he did. We can't get over why Jesus would want to do that. And yet he did. But we can sure celebrate it and give thanks. Amen? We can be grateful in our heart and appreciate what he did and and find it awe-inspiring and magnificent. I mean, how many of you, just in a, and I would be in this group, just in a moment of full transparency, would say, you know what, I should really sleep with one eye open and a helmet on. Because I've done some things. I've thought some things. I've betrayed some people. I've been dishonest when I should have been honest. I've been addicted when I should have been sober. I've been unfaithful when I should have been faithful. I've had flaws and failures, and yet Jesus, verse 13, forgives how many? All of our trespasses. I mean, can we just marvel at the word all for a moment? All of our sins. It's all taken care of by Jesus. He canceled the record of debt. The list of everything that you've ever done wrong, Paul just said, is nailed to the cross with Jesus. It's Palm Sunday today, the day that historically we celebrate Jesus riding into the city of Jerusalem 
on a donkey and people going before him and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they throw their coats down in front of him so that his donkey doesn't have to walk in the mud. What Jesus was about to do, they knew on the cross was significant. How many of you are grateful that even the sins you haven't gotten around to yet are covered by what Jesus did on the cross? In his foreknowledge, in his omniscience, he knew that I would sin tomorrow. At some point tomorrow, I'm going to blow it. I'm going to think selfishly. I'm going to do something selfishly. I'm going to think in my flesh. And Jesus knew that. And he forgives me and he forgives you. Jesus knew what you would do. And so he knew why he had to die. To cancel the debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And in doing so, Paul says he disarmed the rulers and the authorities. Wait, wait a minute. Who are the rulers? Who are the authorities? Well, the Bible teaches that God made angels to carry out his work, to be his messengers. Think of them. We have a church staff. Think of them as God's staff. And he would send them to do things for himself. And the Bible tells us that there was one angel in particular who was proud in his heart. And if you want to write this reference down, the Bible tells us this in Isaiah chapter 14. And even more directly in Revelation chapter 12. St. Augustine, some pronounce Augustine, says that pride is like a mother pregnant with all the other sins. In other words, no sin happens without first pride being in the human heart. So that fallen angel decided his name was Lucifer. Hey, God shouldn't get the glory. I should get the glory. God shouldn't tell me what to do. Why should I exist under God's rule? I'm going to live my own life. God and I, we disagree. I think God's wrong and I'm right. How many of you have ever had thoughts like that? Does that not sound like us? God shouldn't tell me what to do. Why should I live under God's rule? I'm going to live my own life. God and I disagree. I think God's wrong. I think God's right. If you've ever had a thought like that, understand it's a satanic thought. Literally. Satan thought it first. And he then decided, I'll declare war. On God. And I'll be God. And he recruited a third of all the angels in heaven. They were cast down. They became fallen angels. 
we call them, or demons. And if you think about it, this was the very first cult. It was a group of individuals who strayed from the gospel. And the cult leader, Satan, caught up with the very first created humans, Adam and Eve, in the garden, and he tempted them to effectively join in his rebellion against God by disobeying God and obeying himself. He asked them, though they didn't know it at the time, to join his cult. And Adam and Eve became like double agents. They went from the kingdom of light to the kingdom of darkness, from the kingdom of truth to the kingdom of lies, from the kingdom of dependence on God to a kingdom of independence and self-reliance. And we are their descendants. They are our parents. So by nature and by choice, we are like them. We are double agents ourselves. We, too, choose to disobey God and choose darkness over light. And here's what happened next. God came down into the garden in what the Bible describes as the cool of the day. It's an interesting choice. Either God was pointing out how truly magnificent and shaded and wonderful this utopian setting was of the Garden of Eden, or it was a bit of a play on words. In the hot of the day, it ought to be, and yet something was off here. But in the cool of the day, the Bible says God speaks first to Adam and then to Eve and then to Satan. And in Genesis 3.15... Scholars call this the Proto-Evangelion or the first gospel. God tells Satan effectively, you've worn out your welcome. A king is coming. And you, Satan, will harm the king. You will strike and bruise his heel. But... Then he will crush your head. He will crush your head. God makes clear in the garden on that day that there is no possibility for salvation for Satan and his demons, but that there is an invitation to receive forgiveness for people, for men and for women. So when Paul uses the words rulers and authorities, he's talking about this cosmic battle between Satan and his third of the angels and God and his angels. And this cosmic battle shows up again and again throughout Scripture. It shows up again between Cain and Abel. One of them belongs to the the kingdom of light, the other to the kingdom of darkness. Cain declares war on Abel and he kills him. There's bloodshed throughout the Old Testament. Kingdom rises against kingdom. And eventually, just like God said to Satan that it would happen, the king arrives. And he arrives roughly 2,000 years ago in the form of a baby. 
and the baby grows into a man and Jesus is baptized by John to inaugurate his three-year ministry. And then he goes into the wilderness and Satan confronts him there. Tries to kill him there. The cosmic battle rages on. Jesus recruits 12 disciples. The cosmic battle rages between them. One of them becomes a traitor. He longs more for the kingdom of darkness. Satan enters Judas Iscariot's heart. And then Judas aligns himself with Satan. He trades Jesus for money. Jesus receives a kiss of betrayal and is arrested. And the rest of the story, I'll tell to you next weekend on Good Friday and on Easter Sunday. But in conclusion, here's what I would say. When Paul says that Jesus triumphed over them, you need to know that Jesus came and his heel was bruised, but he crushed Satan's head. Exactly as he said he would And you and I, as a result, are not slaves to sin. We're adopted into God's family. And that's good news. We are no longer in the kingdom of darkness. We're now in the kingdom of light. It's the most beautiful story that's ever been told. Though by our nature, we were captives in this cosmic war by the cut flesh and blood of Jesus Christ, we have been set free. And I hope that you will never, ever get to the point to where this story is anything but awe-inspiring. But it just invites you, causes you, to worship him. I know we have dry days. I know we go through deserts. I know there are seasons of complacency and we forget about the goodness of God, but I hope all of us continue to come back to this story and never grow weary of Jesus. Never get over Jesus. Never go beyond Jesus. Never be deceived into thinking that we're too smart for Jesus because he's coming back for us. And the Bible says he'll be riding a white horse. That in itself is amazing. Like every country western that's ever been stole that from the Bible. He's coming back on a white horse. And the Bible says that today we await the second coming of our king. He's already came once, but he's coming again. And he's going to put the enemy's head for the last time under his boot. And you and I will be in heaven with Jesus for an eternity. That is the blessed hope. That is what we long for, to be with Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Father, I just pray for everyone here, Lord, that our faith will be renewed, that this week we will be 
reminding ourselves again and again of the magnificence of this story. Lord, it is so simple, and yet it is so profound. You came for us. You died for us. You rose again for us. And as a result, you defeated the enemy of our Father God with finality. You crushed him. And you're preparing a home for us in glory. We love you. We trust you. We find peace in you. In Jesus' name. Just quickly, if there's anybody here who doesn't know the Lord, if you just keep your heads bowed, would you mind just looking up at me and locking eyes with me if you'd like to become a Christian? If you'd like to turn your life over to Jesus? If you'd like to accept his invitation, his gift for salvation? Anybody here today want to love and be loved by Jesus? I'll give you just another minute. Lord, we trust that in your loving kindness, you draw us to repentance. And Lord, if it is true that this is a room full of people who already know you, Lord, I just pray that we would be penitent daily. Lord, that we would keep short lists with you. That we would come to you with our, I'm sorry's and I regret that. And please help me, sanctify me, change me. Make me more like yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.